Good morning, church. It's great to be with you again. This is now the 11th uh, Sunday. We have uh, basically been cloistered uh, because of uh, COVID-19. And so uh, today, though, is unique. Today, this Sunday, is Pentecost, according to the calendar, which was uh, seven weeks after Passover and one day, seven weeks and one day. And it came to be the commemoration of the delivery of the law on Mount Sinai when the fire fell on Mount Sinai and God spoke the Ten Commandments. And so it also came to be known to the church as the time that the New Testament was made in force. The law of Christ, if you would, was delivered not on uh, Mount Sinai, but on Mount Zion. So we're going to be talking about Pentecost a little bit today. And uh, we're thrilled to have you with us. Uh, we are a family of believers dedicated to the idea of worshiping God the Father in spirit and truth, sharing Christ Jesus with the world around us, and seeing lives transformed in a positive way. We want you to have the best life now and forevermore as you get involved in works of service. We believe that we are not just here for us, we're to serve the world in every way that we can, both to take care of those who are needy and, and those who don't have Christ yet, and to make their life a better place. So we're dealing with all of those things always, and if you want to be a part of that, we are involved in building a new facility right now on Lithia Pinecrest. Love for you to be a part of that. Uh, we have been formerly known as the Bell Shoals Church of Christ. We're going to be known as the Creekside Church of Christ. Today, again, like I said, we're looking at Pentecost, the pouring out of proof or the poured out proof is the lesson that we're looking at. But before we go any further, uh, we're going to have a prayer now, if you'll pray with me. Holy Father, we are grateful for another week that we're able to join together through the means of uh, technology and be able to uh, actually be together at the same time, worshiping, taking communion and serving and giving and sharing at exactly the same time, worshiping your name and for your glory. We pray your blessings upon us as we look into your word today, as we consider the concepts of Pentecost and what that meant then and what it means even today, Father. We pray that you'd uh, pour out proof of your presence on us even now. Uh, we realize, Father, that you poured that out through the Spirit, through the promises that you made, uh, Father, through the acceptance you showed us, Father, for the love that you gave us and the grace that you bestowed upon us. We pray, Father, that as the church, that we would pour out proof of your presence into our world that we would still be pouring out proof of your presence all of our life by the things that we do and the things that we say. Bless us in this study, Father. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Now, Pentecost was really a day of miracles. Uh, there were two primary miracles that were being uh, shown and taught. Uh, the first miracle, of course, was that of Christ. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But I don't know, maybe you've never seen a miracle or maybe you don't even believe that God does anything like that ever. Uh, I've seen a miracle or two. I could tell you about a story of a of a dove, but that's not what today's about. I read this the other day and I thought it was cute. A witness said, I saw a miracle. Uh, my neighbor cured a ham. Uh, another person said, well, I, I also saw a miracle. I saw a blind carpenter who picked up his hammer and saw and uh, I don't know if those are funny, but I do think that that's reflective almost of our culture, that they almost don't believe there are such things as that. 
Uh, there was a rabbi and a priest that were in a bad car accident. I mean, it was really bad. Their cars were totally demolished. There was virtually nothing left of their vehicles. And they began to crawl out of their vehicles. It was miraculous that neither one of them really hurt. And as they crawled out, the rabbi noticed that the other man was wearing a collar and he recognized he must be a priest. So he, he says to him, so you're a priest and I'm a rabbi. Uh, just look at our cars. There's nothing left, but we're unhurt. It's a miracle. And then he said, it must be a sign. God must have meant that you and I would become good friends. And the priest said, well, I agree. Uh, it, it's a miracle and it must be a sign. The rabbi said, and look, here's another miracle. Right here in the, all of this debris is a bottle of wine that didn't break. Surely God wants us to drink it and to celebrate our good fortune. And uh, so he handed the bottle to the priest. He said, yes, that must be the case. And he opened it up and he took a few big swigs and he hands it back to the rabbi. The rabbi puts the cap in it and then hands it back to the priest. And the priest said, well, aren't you going to have any? And the rabbi says, no, I think I'll wait for the police to arrive. Uh, we all have had some experiences that are amazing. We may not call them miracles, but we've all experienced that. Most of us have through prayer. Most of us have seen God move and do things that we're just like, shake our head. How did that happen? Pentecost is to remember a couple of miracles. Obviously, it is to remember the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had just been raised, as you recall, just after Passover. And so it's for that purpose. But it's also to remember the miracle of all the people that were saved. Romans 1.16 calls, calls that salvation the power of God or the miracle of God for salvation. So to be saved is like a miracle. Uh, May the 17th, A.D. 33, is believed to be the day of Pentecost. That's Sunday, May the 17th, A.D. 33. And then this is May uh, the 31st, a Sunday, 2020. That means it's been 1,987 anniversaries of the church since that day. Acts 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, assembling together on the first day of the week, which of course is our default setting, except during this setting, that we should all assemble, that just meeting this way is not really the idea that God ever had. But Acts 20 and verse 16, it talks about, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So apparently the church was still kind of remembering, uh, even years later, that this is where it began, and the church was having, I guess, special gatherings, more people would be there, I don't know, but it was on the day of Pentecost and the church would recognize that was the anniversary. Uh, Acts 21 verse 20, it says, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed. Obviously, it's not talking about believing in the law. They've always done that, but now they believe in Jesus. And so apparently there were huge crowds that were gathering at Pentecost in Jerusalem at that time. In 1 Corinthians 16 verses 89, it says, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, and identifying that time. Why would he do that? Well, maybe for the Jews' sake, but it may be because it was still a very special time for them. And verse 9, it says, for a great and effective door has opened, as if because it's like the anniversary day, maybe that's part of the effective door that's been opened. And if you know anything about church history and you watch what's happened in the last few years, you're pretty much aware that lectureships and workshops and conventions 
missions and revivals and gospel meetings, friend days, homecoming days have kind of fallen on bad times that um, people aren't really supporting those events like they used to. I don't know if this is the case. Maybe it's just they're used to it and it's become blasé. Or maybe they're just looking at other things like sporting events or like band concerts or movies or TV. Or maybe we're just getting uh, bored with everything. I don't know what's happening. But Pentecost, uh, if we had special days in the church that we were supposed to observe, uh, which we don't, by the way, there are no rules about you have to observe a day except the Lord's Day, which is every first day of the week. Uh, Romans 14 and verse 5 says, One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So we all do observe days, your birthday, uh, the new year, Fourth uh, of July, uh, we observe things like Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving. So we do observe those days, and you choose which days you uh, observe. This might be one you want to consider, and that is uh, that apparently they did something on this day uh, because of it being the anniversary. So it's been 1987 years since that day. Uh, the Bible is primarily, though, about the desire of God to be with his people. And that's the teaching even of Pentecost. It was also the teaching of Sinai. God appeared on Sinai. And then when the law uh, was delivered. And, and so we know this is true because you go all the way back to the garden. God was dwelling with man in the garden. That was his desire. He walked in the cool of the day with man. And we know that after that, and a man fell from the goodness that God still sought to be with man. More than man sought to be with God because we have God uh, putting a tabernacle literally in the midst of the people of Israel so that his presence, his Shekinah, could go along with them. Uh, and then he came in the form of the word that was delivered in the Old Testament. Then he came in the form of the word made flesh in the presence of Jesus. So God striving to be with man and to dwell with men, and he allowed men to touch him, to handle him, even after his resurrection. At Pentecost, it is God again pouring himself out in the form of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to be with man, to be in man, to dwell with man forever. And then God... If you could, if you could see what God's doing, it's almost like God plays hide and seek. That, uh, but He plays unfair hide and seek. If you, if you ever played hide and seek, you know, one guy puts his head against the tree and covers up and says uh, one, two. I got to count to a hundred, right? And then all the others run off and hide. And then when He sees them, He says one, two, three on you. And then whoever gets first back to the base, y'all play that game. I know. But what's funny is that you try to be very quiet so they don't catch you. God, on the other hand, what He does is He plays hide and seek, and He goes and He hides, and then He says. <clears throat> And he makes a loud noise, like on the day of Pentecost, this rushing mighty wind. So he hides, and then he gives away his hiding place. Isn't that wonderful? He, he hides from us, but he's wanting us to look. He's already there. He's already put his presence there, but he wants to make sure you come looking for him. And he seeks us. He seeks to be our friend. He seeks to be our dwelling place, and he seeks you so that he can be use you as his dwelling place. So I want to look at four proofs of God's presence on the day of Pentecost and the great joy that should bring to us. So the first one that I want you to look at is the poured out proof 
of God's promise, which shows his presence. Uh, Going to Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to start in verse 16 of Acts chapter 2. It says this, uh, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. That's the reason using that terminology. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Verse 18, and on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Verse 33, skipping all the way down to verse 33 now, because it's critical. In fact, if I was saying that I have a text for this lesson, that's the text because verse 33 says, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, talking about Jesus now, after he was buried and rose again and ascended up to the Father. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. That's Joel chapter 2 that was being quoted on that. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 4 is the reference he's talking. When he talks about this promise, Luke is using that. And he, Luke is pointing back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 4 and many promises all through the Bible. Acts 1 and verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. What is this saying? That the Father, through the Spirit, would dwell with man again. That's the great promise. God's promising God's presence. God's not just promising salvation. That would be wonderful to be saved. But honestly, what's the point of being saved if we don't have God? I mean, if it's just man going to run eternity, I'm not sure I'm in on that one. But if it's God running eternity and I want to be with God, God with us. You see, the goal is not just to get our sins forgiven. The goal, ultimately, the real goal is God's presence. And that's the promise that they received in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. So Pentecost is proof of his presence, the poured out proof of God's promise, and it was displayed in the Spirit. The second thing that I think you need to see is not only the poured out proof of God's uh, promise, but the poured out proof of God's acceptance. Uh, If you want to turn in your Bibles, turn over to Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at verses uh, 34 through 45. It's quite a lengthy reading, but I think it's worth it if you stick with me on this one. Acts chapter 10, we're looking at the proof of God's acceptance, which is the proof of God's presence. Uh, Verse 34 says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Isn't that a great truth right there? That God doesn't care whether you're rich or poor, black or white, an American or a person from China. He just doesn't care. It's not about your education. It's not about your intellect. It's not about how much money you've got. It's all about how your relationship is developed toward him. Verse 35, but in every nation, see that? In every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Isn't that great? It doesn't matter who you are. God will accept you. Verse 36, the word which God sent to the children of Israel preached 
preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all, all. Verse 37, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Verse 39, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. That makes reference to the Deuteronomy passage and the curse that he endured. Verse 40, him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Verse 41, not to all the people, not everybody got to see the risen Lord, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, specifically the apostles. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who ordained by God to be uh, it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. I have a lesson about that, uh, the judging of Christ tonight. Verse 43, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sin. What a great truth. It's not just a psalm, but whoever and verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. That's a great truth right there. He didn't just fall on the people that were all were among the right flesh, if you will, the Jewish people who had followed circumcision. Verse 45, and those of the circumcision who believed, that is, believed in Jesus already, were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. That is a wonderful truth because what it's suggesting is, is God's no longer just partial to the Jews, that God was moving beyond and his acceptance, his presence is a sign of his acceptance of all the world, of all nations, of all Gentiles. And to back that up, Acts 2 and verse 17 says it this way, and it shall come to pass, remember this is back in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, this was what was said, it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. There isn't a human being that's excluded that might have been argued in the Old Testament. Really wasn't the case, but God had to work within a people to bring about Christ and to keep his promise to Abraham. And God keeps his promises. So we've seen the poured out proof of God's promise, which is ultimately his presence. But we also seen the poured out proof of his acceptance, that God was seeking to accept every single person in the whole world, no matter who you are, no matter how much you have or how little you have. Pentecost is proof of his presence, the poured out proof of God's acceptance of all mankind. Such good news. And then thirdly, it's the poured out proof of God's love. In Romans 5, verses 5 through 8, it says, now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit. Obviously, we know when that came. So poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's the day of Pentecost. Verse 6, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. That's been done. Men in battle have died for others that were their friends, but they usually are people that they think are good guys. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, 
Someone would even dare to die. It's been done. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's more than that. He didn't just allow Christ to die for us, but then he poured out his spirit to show that God's love was being extended to all of us. In Psalm 22, verse 14, it says it this way. Now, if you know Psalm 22, it's a messianic psalm. It's all about the Christ. It's all about the anointed one, Jesus. And these are supposedly the prophetic words of Jesus when he says in verse 14, I am poured out like water. So when we talk about the spirit being poured out, it's ultimately Jesus himself being poured out. It's the father being poured out. That's the Godhead. It's being poured out. And in this case, it's poured out of love. Somebody has often asked me, you know, because maybe we don't do all the things that some churches do in claiming gifts and miraculous abilities. Uh, What's the proof that you have the Holy Spirit? And often my answer has been, based upon the teachings we just read here, especially in Romans chapter 5, that uh, the fact that I can love you is proof that I have the Holy Spirit because God poured that love into my heart through the Holy Spirit. It's not something. So God's presence is poured out in one of the major ways that we know that his presence is here is by the love. They'll know you're Christians by your love. It's the love that we have through the cross of Christ, but it's proof by the spirit that's in our heart that makes us want to love every man, not just the people who are good to us, not just the people who do the right thing, but every man. Oh, you don't, you don't love that kind of person, the person who does wrong. I don't love the wrong, but I love the man who does the wrong. That's where we must be. That's what the Spirit calls us to do. So Pentecost is proof of his presence, and it's the poured out proof of God's love into our heart. And it's God himself that's poured into our heart when that happens. The fourth truth from Pentecost that we learn is the poured out proof of God's grace. In Titus 3, verses 5 through 6, making reference again of the pouring out of the Spirit of God, it says this, talking about Acts 2 still. Verse 4, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. When did that happen? Well, we know it appeared in Christ, but we also know it appeared on the day of Pentecost. Verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. There was nothing expected. God took the initiative. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration. That's reference to baptism. The washing of regeneration or rebirth and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You remember Acts 2 and verse 38, uh, you're forgiven and you receive the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration, renewing the Holy Spirit, verse 6, whom he poured out on us abundantly. That's Acts 2. Whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 7, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When he poured out his spirit on us, were we already just wonderful? No. It was by his grace that he was willing to dwell within us. We're imperfect. We've done wrong. But his grace not only was willing to forgive us and to wash us clean, but he was willing to actually dwell in a vessel that isn't perfect, but made perfect through the blood of Jesus Christ. So how can God stand to dwell in this imperfect being that does wrong? Because as far as from his perspective, I am perfect because he's made me perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ. So God's 
presence is in the grace of forgiving us all of all the terrible things we've done throughout in our entire life. John 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld, in other words, God's always wanted this. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace. Yeah, have to be to want to be among us. So Pentecost is proof of his presence. It's the poured out proof of God's Grace. So Pentecost is the poured out proof of God's presence. And it's been shown by his promise of the Holy Spirit, by his acceptance of all mankind, by his love that is now in our hearts, and by the grace that makes us aware that even though we are not all we ought to be, that God has made us all we need to be. So It's proof of his presence. And where is that presence seen? In the church, in the assembly of believers, in those that trust God. If we uh, will only turn to God, no matter who you are, he will show you his presence. Listen to Proverbs 1 verse 23. Turn at my rebuke, the Lord says. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known. If you will repent. Listen to what he's saying. I, surely, I mean, he's like saying, I promise you, I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. Now, we tend to think that we are the ones who have to go out and seek the presence of God. But suddenly, Pentecost bursts on the scene and displays that it was God all along seeking our presence. Wow. I mean, he made us. Why did he make us? He wanted to be with us. And then he made an effort And Pentecost is a clear sign of that. In moments of God's presence, there is always proof of his presence, and it's poured out all over. Listen to John 14, 21. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, this this is really critical. If Every scripture that you've ever read, you should read a little closer. Listen to what he actually says. I'm going to read it again. Follow it slowly. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Not my truth, not just the Bible, but I will manifest myself to him. I'm going to be there. That's the thing, myself. In Romans 8 verse 16, it says this, the spirit himself, lest there be any doubt, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that we have been saved, that we have been forgiven, that we are indwelt, that we are being transformed. The Spirit himself does that. When we realize the change that has come in our life, we know that that's the Spirit of God. John Ortberg, Jr., who's an author, he recently wrote a book, God is Closer Than You Think. And he talks about, he says, when my friend Kim was a young girl, her dad pulled the car off the road one day to help a woman change a flat tire. Then he goes into telling what happened. While he's kind of under the car doing things, that a car swerved off the road on the shoulder where they had parked and ran into the back of that car, throwing the car on top of her father. And when that happened, it kind of landed on top of him and it uh, broke five ribs. Uh, ripped his right thumb off. Uh, it, his lungs began to fill with blood and the car sitting on top of him. His little wife, barely five feet tall, 
walked over to the car, seeing her husband underneath it, a man who had been trying to help a woman that was stranded on the side of the road with a flat tire. She walks over to the car and says, she grabs the bumper and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. She lifts that car off of him. Now, don't get me wrong. After she does that and they pull him out, she has back trouble because of that. But she did it. Now, Kim's father was in a state of shock. He was taken to the hospital. Well, I'm not through with the story. The doctors prepared him for emergency surgery. And one of the doctors said his thumb won't do him any good if he's dead. So we're not going to worry about the thumb. And uh, his survival, as far as they were concerned, was iffy by the point he got there. Suddenly, this is the story. Suddenly, spontaneously, the man's skin changed from ashen to pink. He experienced like a miraculous healing. And he invited a surprise surgical team to join him in singing, Ferris Lord Jesus. They didn't even bother to put oxygen on him. And this all happened at the precise moment that his father-in-law, who happened to be a preacher, had just had his entire congregation start having a prayer for him. Now, most of these stories are in books, and Snopes and others tries to disprove them all the time. The problem with disproving this story is is the guy is still alive. His name's James Lauder. He's a professor of Princeton Theological Seminary. His life before this really was not at all the same. In fact, he would say that by this event, his life was saved and it was changed. Uh, he had taught uh, at a seminary, like I said, Princeton Theological Seminary, but honestly, God to him had only been an abstract idea before this. Now suddenly, Jesus became a living presence. Kim, his daughter, writes that her father's heart grew so tender after this that he became known at Princeton as the weeping professor. He began to live from one moment to the next, as she describes it, in a God-bathed, God-soaked, God-intoxicated world. Now, I hope you never have to go through anything like that. I hope God never has to work a miracle like that. Not that you don't want a miracle of whatever your issue is, obviously. But the message is, what he found, what did he find? God's presence. You see, the message of Pentecost and the proof that we really all are searching for is what God wants to manifest all the time. I'm with you. That little truth that God doesn't abandon us that God is with us, is so critical that God will manifest himself if you have any doubts. He'll push his way in so that you will hear the rushing sound, whatever you need. That would be special for you. But of course, if you don't have that presence in your life, you need to look for it because in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, there were things they needed to do to make sure that God would be with them forever. And that is that they had to believe in Jesus uh, they were sorry for what they had done. That's called repentance. And they confessed that they now believed, which is confessing the name of Christ. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. And upon confessing your faith that you now have, uh, you're to be baptized. And in that text, Acts 2.38, uh, they, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of sins and to receive 
the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it was so that we could be forgiven and ultimately God would be with us. You see, that's that's the goal, to be with God and God to be with us and us to know it. Pentecost is proof that God wanted to do that. It should be proof enough to you that he is reaching out to you. Even through this little medium right here, he wants to reach you. He wants you to know that he's after you, that he's here. He's not run away. He's here. His presence has not left the earth. No matter what you see happen, ignore it. He's here. And if you'll give him a chance, he'll prove his presence to you. We'd be happy to help you any way we can so that you could know that. But God bless you. Know that he's with us. Thank you.